I know I've started to train you to come later because I've been, you know, late a couple of times. So I have to try to reverse the course. Plus, holy cow, this is like you turn the clocks ahead. The flesh is, you know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Holy cow. So we'll see, you know. That's all right, though. We could, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. All right, first Sunday, Invocavit, sermons, famous sermons of Luther on, on uh, Invo- this is Invocavit Sunday. Uh, so this is, you know, this great, great big church here uh, move now. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, First John 3, 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So in the, you have the front page, which is very specific, and then you have the catechism. You know, one thing about the catechism is we don't always pay as, as much mind as we do to the specific bits. But um, the part about how the devil tempts you the first time, uh, the guy who wrote that's an exorcist. So, you know, he has some experience with, you know, working with the devil and, and helping people through. Um, I think that's the old kind of pastoral care that pastors gave. It's maybe not as common now. It certainly wasn't the sort of education we got at the seminary, but um, it should be. I mean, people should say, or the part from the catechism was very, very clear. You know, I'm experiencing this. Oh, that's kind of a normal thing. When you're young, you know, you're tempted to sex. When you're old, you're tempted to money. If you engage spiritual things, then the devil will tempt you, you know, if you get serious about it. So it's kind of interesting. You, could, you can almost draw a map of, you know, what's going to tempt you at different times of your life. If you push against the devil in the darkness, the devil will push back. It's right there in the catechism. It's very, very interesting. And then you get great comfort from a verse like this. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And so Luther, you know, was so, you thought about this again with a mighty fortress. Luther was so calm in the face of, um, you know, calm in the face of temptation. You know, he, he saw the things that the devil did often just as parlor, as parlor tricks. Yeah, he was annoyed, but he wasn't irritated to the point where he thought, you know, he could be undone. And that's, that's part of our problem. We, uh, our experience with, the, with Satan, uh, with how we deal with Satan is so often, you know, from the movies or to the extreme. I mean, things like, you know, levitation and foaming and voices and all that, well, they're, they're real things. They're, if, you, if you get with people who do this, um, you know, those are really ancillary. Those are kind of, those are par- parlor tricks. You know, those are extra things. You know, the real danger is the loss of your heart. And you heard that in the first reading for today. You know, where, where the, the real danger is when somebody says, you know, God didn't really say that. And then we, like, you know, take a, take a different way. So the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Very nice in one sentence, you know, what everything's about. First John 3, 8. O God, by whose spirit we are led into the wilderness of trial, grant the standing in your strength against the powers of darkness we may so win the victory over all evil that with singleness of heart we may always serve you and you alone. Through Christ our Lord, who was at all points tempted as we are. Amen. All right, good to see you. A bunch of little things. Here's this. Every week I give that out. The paper comes back, but the clipboard never comes back. One of you will die and will go into your house and you'll be like the clipboard hoarder. And then we will say, you know, the people will come from TV, there'll be a show, you'll be buried in the clipboard. And then we'll say, yeah, we, we knew that about you. We didn't know who it was, but we knew that about you. So you saw Dr. Just is now Bishop of Spain. Congratulations, you know. Um, it's kind of interesting release. And you're, and you're at the front of that. So this thing is picking up steam. I think... This year, um, you know, I'm going to the meetings and then walking the Camino, but in the meetings, I think there's a district president or two that will be there now, and I think 
uh, Tim Quill will be there, who's the in charge of all international missions. So it's, I think the, I can't quite remember the flow chart, but it's like the president of Senate, then he has a guy who oversees national things and international things, and Tim Quill is the international guy. And then Ted Cray, who's the guy that I met with last year with Dr. Just, um, and whom you support. Ted Cray is one of the five. They slice the world up into five bits, and he's for the, um, you know, he's for the Spanish-speaking bits of it. But they're going to they're kind of push Spain back to Europe because it's too great a distance. Um, now, it's so interesting. We're at a different point in our lives. And I, I'm going to say a little bit about this because I'll try to do this in half an hour. I don't know if I can do it. But uh, first, I, wanna, I want you to relax because, you know, here's the thing. If you're giving up something for Lent and you haven't quite figured out what you're doing yet, hey, you got till next Wednesday, okay? Because, uh, you know, if you're going to give up one day of something, you can still, you know, pick Monday or Tuesday and not, uh, not be in too much trouble. What's kind of interesting is... is um, we're at a different place. The conversation is different now than it was, you know, two years or five years or ten years ago. So in the old days, you know, if I sent you this card, um, did you think I was running for state representative when you got this? <laughs> I mean, who knew? We thought we figured everything out. And then, you know, it was the week of cards. Um, but, you know, in the old days, if I'd send you a, a card that would say, you know, calculate a tithe and at least give that much, um, just as a, as a course of things, and, you know, these, the series of cards you'll get, you'll get one a week till Easter should kind of explain the rationale. But I'm, I'm talking to you in a very different way than I talked to you before. In the past, I had to introduce the idea, try to sell you on it. You know, it should be enough for you now just to know a couple of things. One, that Jesus tithed, because Jesus kept the law in every way. And two, your church runs really well if you do it. If you tithe and give alms, your church runs really well. That should be reason enough. If you want a church where you don't have to talk about money and things run really well, if everybody ties. Now, the interesting thing is the conversations this time have not been conversations about, hey, where did that come from, or I'm not doing that, or I'm, the worst thing that could possibly be said is, I'm free of all that because I'm a Lutheran. Whoa, sorry. Okay, so, uh, no, I mean, I mean, the whole notion that any good, that Jesus is against good works is really, you know, that's another Bible, okay? Uh, for example, from the Ash Wednesday reading, and what I read to you from the, I mean, I read you this from the confessions. The confessions, the Lutheran confessions actually say every um, Christian, every Lutheran certainly, will uh, pray, tithe, and fast. I'm, I'm sorry, pray, sorry, give alms, and fast. And I was talking about this verse, among other things, with John Kleinig, Um I told him, you know, this is Matthew 6 text is going to come up. And I said, it's so terribly interesting. And he just off the top of his head goes, oh, yeah, the three, the, the, the three, the three divine uh, mandates of Jesus that every Christian does. And I, I start to giggle, and he's like, it's in the confessions. i like, I know, but I'd never hear anybody else, like, say that. But, I mean, he just talks about it as these are the three things. And he, then he sent me a little email, and he said, read Entole and read Mandatum and read all this stuff. But he said, you know, it's completely clear that Jesus understood that his disciples would do this, and Lutherans understood they should do it. So now here's the thing. Sort, 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 sort. This will keep your fasting and your giving. Sort, sort, sort. And really, I will just tell you, Lutherans use this so often as a reason not to do any good in the world. You know, every time you say do something good, they're like, oh, yeah, good works. I'm like... Next step, Jesus is A, for good works, or B, against good works. Okay, take your pick. He is actually for them. He just, does, he just wants you to be completely justified first and then live in the good works he gives you as opposed to trying to drive yourself crazy by earning your salvation through good works. I mean, 
earning your salvation through good works. Nothing could be farther from what we do here. However, we're very interested in the Christian life. So is this is the Lutheran Confessions. I gave you this in the sermon on Pentecost, but I mean, um, you just you just can't get around the notion that um, you know we believe that God's glory and command require penitence to produce good fruits. So you're sorry for your sins, you get forgiven, you get saved, uh, you're put on the course by the Holy Spirit to do better, okay, and that good fruits like true fasting, prayer, and charity have his command. That's right out of Matthew 6. Because Jesus says, Sermon on the Mount, middle of the Sermon on the Mount, if you're going to be my disciples, this is what you're going to do. He says a lot of other things too. But it's interesting that the Lutheran Confessions... um, Pick this up. Now they go on to say these things don't save us. So I'm saying out loud to you, these things of course don't save us. Just because they don't save us doesn't mean you don't do them. I mean, it's 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 right here. They they repeat it again. Um, you know, uh, you can't make satisfaction for your sins. There are certain limits for all these things. But true prayer, charity, and fasting have God's command. Period. His entele in Greek, his mandatum, his mandate. So basically, um, this is your season. Now, do you have to fast this Lent? No, but you should fast at some point because Jesus says you should. Um, you know, do you have to do everything everybody else is doing? No, but it's really easier when people, when people do it together because kind of we're all in it together. And, you know, there's a fine line. You know, obviously, there's a fine line about showing off when you do it. That's fine. But sometimes, you know, just talking about it and getting a little help from other people, that's good too. So anyway... The joy of it is, you know, I can send this to you, and you, you know, I've noticed, I think, that on Ash Wednesday the color was black into purple. Now it's just purple, and there'll be a little lighter purple, and then, you know, it'll get, it'll get brighter. The days get brighter, right? You know, we'll go rose in the fourth week. Um, so it's nice for you to be able to say, or it's nice for me to be able to say to you, prayer and fast this Lent, calculate a tithe, give some alms, do the electronic giving thing. Um, here's the thing. If you don't enroll, we'll enroll you if you don't enroll. I mean, there are ways to get around this, all right? So um, just makes our lives easier if you do it. And, you know, kind of stick in and say your prayers and go to the liturgy and have a nice Lent, okay? So there's more coming, uh, but, you know, there's the basic stuff. Anyway, it's very nice to be in a place where so long ago, far away, you know, I think I said to you somewhere, there's a huge difference between people who struggle against what Jesus asks and struggle with what Jesus asks you to do. So you're not going to get it right, you know. If you've never given, you're not going to. Very, it'll be unlikely that you're going to just start tithing and giving alms. You're going to think that that's crazy talk. Um, you know, if you've never prayed, you're going to think it's crazy to just you know start saying prayers a couple times a day. You're, you're going to think that's crazy, but struggle toward it. I mean, to be a Christian is to say, I want to do what Jesus asked me to do. And Jesus, he's not asking me to do it so I can earn my way to heaven. That's already done. We're going to rehearse that here in just a little while. There's going to be a Eucharist, and there's going to be a Good Friday, and there's going to be an Easter, and Jesus is going to appear, and he's going to say, this is my gift to you, and I love you, and by the way, here's my Holy Spirit, and why don't you have a church, and I'll be in heaven waiting for you, but I'll also be in the altar waiting for you, and I'll be in baptism waiting for you, so life is good. I'm always here. Here we go. Now... Live the way the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit live in heaven. Here on earth, you can have some fun now. And so that's what makes us different. And the church has always understood that. Is it difficult sometimes? Yeah, it's difficult for exactly what we put in uh, from the large catechism where if you get too spiritual, the devil will attack you, right? Sex is easy. 
I mean, sex is easy. That's, that's easy. Money is easy. That's an easy way to attack people. Luxury, you know, that's easy. You know, but what's hard is when you say your prayers and they don't go very well. And it gets harder and harder because, you know, the devil is yakking in your ear. You know, why do you do that? You never get what you ask. That's, that's hard. Loving other people. When you wake up in the morning and you'd prefer to hate them, and you call them to mind, and of course, you pray for them. The very interesting, the last line, what the guy wrote, we said that to you, I said that to you a thousand times, which is, when you pray for people, you can't hate them. Eventually, you can't hate them. If there's anybody you hate, pray for them. Eventually, you can't hate them, okay? And it's like, your prayers are like insulation on a wire. They protect you. Yeah, is it miserable some days? Yeah, it's miserable. But you're protected from, ultimately, falling by the prayers. And you saw Jesus in the Gospel for today with all of that. Because you know, of course, your scripture comes out of your prayers. This is all we did last year. So anyway, I just want to say how happy it is to be someplace uh, where we can talk about it and struggle toward it, you know? And that's not seen as a weird thing. The great Lutheran, I'll tell you, the great demise, if Lutheranism dies, it will die because in a world that is just taken by mercy, and you can see that in the Pope, in a world that's just taken by mercy, Lutherans refuse to do it because they, they give it a back of their hand because they talk about it as works righteousness. There is, I'm not talking about works righteousness at all. I'm talking about works after you've been made righteous. Because there's a life, you live your life differently. Repentance, metanoia, turn around, live differently. Live differently. Live in generosity, right? Live on 90% of what you get. Live on 87% because give some money to the poor. Did you see the viral thing? I can't, I'm quite figured out. Like someday when I get better. Did you see the viral thing? It was all over the place this week about the guy who gave, it was a fix, and this guy gave this homeless guy a lottery ticket. Did anybody see this? He gave him a thousand bucks. What was really interesting is the reaction of the guy who just, he just wept and continued to weep, and he just said, there was two reactions. He wept, he tried to give the guy some of the money and say, I just want to share it with somebody. And then he said, really tellingly, nobody has ever been this kind to me before. That's a remarkable thing. Because for us, a thousand bucks isn't very much. If you could change somebody's life by giving them a thousand bucks, you would give it to them. It's just remark- it was a remarkable, remarkable thing to see. Yeah, I don't even know how to Google that up. I got to it through a couple of different sites. But I don't usually watch so much stuff like that. But that was a very, very interesting tell. So um, anyway, all right. Um, oh, just offhandedly, you know, the Bishop of Spain called me and wants to go to Italy in May of, uh, in May of 2015. So this would be like going to the Vatican, going to Assisi, going to Venice, going to Rome going to Florence, seeing the great churches, if you're interested in going, kind of get throw up a high sign because I want to know whether I should put any work into putting a trip together. So it'd be like the Holy Land thing or something like that. So let me know, okay? All right, any questions about anything? So you've been forgiven. Now how are you going to live? One of the things that's actually good for you to do occasionally is fast, okay? Paul talked about pummeling his flesh and subduing it. All the cool kids were fasting, right? Jesus was fasting. His disciples were fasting. Elijah, Daniel, David, Moses, I gave you all this. And Jesus presumes, he says, Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, he just presumes fasting is one of the things, now hear this correctly, that helps us. It's not that it earns your salvation, it actually helps you from time to time to discipline your fat, your, your, yourself, your flesh, to know that you can do this. It actually helps you, you know. One of the most frightening things 
is if you drink and you think maybe you can't stop. You take drugs and you think you can't stop. You know, you watch the wrong things on your computer and you think you can't. That's terribly frightening for people to think that you can't stop. So one of the things that, one of the very practical ways this helps you is you, as Paul says, you reign in your body. You pummel it, it suffers, and you subdue it, right? So you actually practice, you practice saying no. You practice subduing your flesh just the way you practice subduing your mind, the way you practice you know, subduing all other things. You, you pummel your body, you subdue it. And Jesus himself is, um, you know, disciplining the flesh when he fasts for 40 days. Kind of a remarkable thing, okay? So everybody does it, and point two, you know, couldn't be clearer, it's a gift and it's a blessing. So it belongs to sanctification, not to justification. So, you know, occasionally, I've already heard it once this morning, but I won't hear it very much. Yes, put some money in the basket for Spain. Sorry. Send some money to the bishop. Since put some money, if you put money in the basket, it'll go to Spain. Sorry, thank you very much. I didn't get it all out. Um, you know, if, you, if, you're, if you're fasting, uh, already I've heard once, you know, oh, you know, it's, you know, too Catholic. I'm just like, it makes me want to pull the rest of my hair out of my head. I mean, really. I mean, really, come on. I mean... There it is. The, I mean, the, 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 it's the flippant Augsburg, apology to the Augsburg Confession. It doesn't get more Lutheran than that. The, you know, the Augsburg Confession said but all the Lutherans believed, and then the apology said, and by the way, what we meant is, right? And then they tell you, have a fast. Okay. So it's not a trade. I'm already at the bottom of the first page. When you fast, it's not a trade. It's not a trade. It's not a deal. It's not a trade. It's a gift. So Jesus promises that he'll stand by you in your fast. He knows what it is to fast. It was very interesting, Pastor Nelson's sermon today, that Jesus stands by you and knows what you suffer, okay? Um, yeah, there they are. True charity and prayer and fasting have God's command. Where they do, it's a sin to omit them. Holy cow, right? Everybody's under the obligation to conduct himself with reference to such bodily exercise, fasting, and other disciplines so that he doesn't give occasion to sin. Not as if you earn grace. Those are two separate things. So you're not fasting so that you earn grace. You are fasting so that you can, so that you know that you have the power to say no to things. It's very interesting that that first bit that was in the. If you take that home and read that, that'll be very good for you. It's very interesting to talk about temptation, and you might as well personalize it to say that the, 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 that a, a devil or a demon watches you, and watches for your weak point. And watch us for the place when you'll say yes, you'll give a cent, you'll say yes, you'll touch something evil. That's how I talked about it to you for a couple of years. You touch an evil thing. And here's the thing, this isn't theoretical. I know enough people here, and I know enough people that you struggle with, and I know my own struggles. You know, people, when it's in front of you, it's easy to touch it. I mean, so in the Old Testament, he turns Eve to the tree and he says, has one good-looking tree. I mean, wouldn't you like to touch that? That's like if you're a bank teller and you're like, man, I've never seen a $1,000 bill before. You should just take that home, right? I mean, so, it's, you know, the ability to say no quickly and move on. That's all. It's, the, it's not just about food or about, you know, regularly we run some of these things and say, how about fasting from lying or swearing or talking mean to people? That's a good fast, too. If you don't want to give up you know, pretzels, you can give up gossip. That's a good thing to give up. 
Of course, you have to take your Facebook page down. That would be hard for you. So um, I heard today driving over that women actually spend more time on their tablets and mobile phones. On, is, that, is that true? No. It's not. <laughs> when somebody answers that quickly, Donna, put your third counselor ear on, Donna. What do you hear when somebody comes back that quickly? What do you, oh, they've got something to hide. Oh, no, okay. I, I, uh, okay. Point three, this is for your whole body, right? This is for your whole body. And so, you know, you're one lump, body, soul, and spirit. Different things have to be disciplined in different ways. It can be much more difficult to uh, discipline your mind than it can be to discipline your body, for example. The ability to um, discipline your mind, to not think about someone, for example, who's been very cruel to you, or especially not to wish ill on them. You know, the ability really not to worry. So, I mean, here's something you can fast from. If you don't want to give up peanuts, you know, why don't you, why don't you fast from worry? Because as the women learned on Fridays, anxiety, worry, anxiety creates idols, right? That was one of the best things they've learned all year. Anxiety creates idols. Very simple, three words. Anxiety creates idols. So why don't you give up worry? Now, you'll say to me, how in the world I do this? And I say to you, that's the reason we have a church. What the way that you give up worry is to redirect, and I'll just say it simply this way, you're focused to the Eucharist. Now, why do I say it that way? Because the Eucharist is Christ. Herman Sasa, you don't get much more Lutheran than that. The Eucharist is Christ. If you want to give up worry in a simple way, you redirect your focus to the Eucharist. I could also say to you, you redirect your focus to Scripture, or you redirect your focus to the Lord's Prayer, or often I said to you, you carry a crucifix in your pocket, right? You redirect your focus, your touch to a crucifix, right? So this morning, had Eve looked in a different direction, for example, at the tree that she was given to eat from. So the, the thing was, all the trees are beautiful, but this tree belongs to someone else, and the consequences of that are devastating. Right? To know what evil is is a devastating thing. Because right? it just keeps coming at you. It gets its grip on you. You know, it gets clawed you. You know, you just it's a devastating, devastating thing. So what you do is you cultivate over this time. Fasting means to cultivate the ability to say no. And what you're doing over Lent is cultivating the discipline to say no to something. Right? You pick one. And we'll talk about not too much, you know. But you pick one so that you can be successful. And, of course, it should be without saying, but I'm going to say it, know that it's not you who does it, but Christ who works through you. You don't run by your own steam. So, for example, just to redirect your focus to the Eucharist. This is common Lutheran stuff. The old notion of preparing to go to the Eucharist. You contemplate yourself. You know, you look at the sins you've done. You confess them to God in advance. You remember that it's the body and blood that's going to hit your lips. You know, that was the thing that every Lutheran was meant to do, you know. And then it got, it, then it got distilled down to announcing to communion. The pastor would come on Saturday night. Then it got distilled down to you write it on a card. Then it got distilled down to what? Hey, you're all on your own. So anyway, you're trying to cultivate the notion of being able to say no, and I've given you the Corinthians text here. You still okay? I'll pause for a second, because as you know, I can just keep going. You still okay? 
This should generally be review stuff for you. But I, I will say when I started to think about this for myself, I'm like, I was saying to myself, what the heck did I say last year? So I went back and, you know, I mean knew in general what I said, but I wanted to, I wanted to think about what I said. So this belongs to sanctification, and it has to do with the ability, very simply put, to say no. It doesn't just have to be a food, although food is sometimes the most obvious thing. But the ability to say no, why? So that you know that you can say no. So you practice saying no. So that when things get really big, when the temptation is really, really, really big, that saying no is a really small thing because it's what you always do as opposed to, whoa, now I don't know what to do. This is the great danger. You know, there, what's, if you read, <laughs> when you go to graduate school, one of the things you learn is that nobody ever reads a book. Everybody just reads book reviews. Okay? <laughs> Books are too long, right? But if you read book reviews, there's this whole, um, this whole notion of one of the big thing. Every, everybody from Pharrell to you know, Stanford is doing studies on happiness. So New York Times was Pharrell last week. How does he get away with singing about happiness and why is happiness the right thing? There's actually, actually two things going on. There's studies on happiness and studies on how to cure the depression. There's this whole notion that we, you know, it emerged 20 years ago under the notion of entertaining ourselves to death. And now it just emerges again as preoccupation. So we can't, we can't, we're just always doing something else so we never have to tend to things that are important. The ability to say no to those things and to tend what is important is terribly difficult for us. Um, You know, it's like our attention spans have gone so short that that's all we think about is the next thing. And then, this is point four, we miss the notion of a sacred moment. One of the great reasons to come to church, even on the day when the, when the, when the clocks change, as difficult as that is, is that this is a sacred moment. And you're responding to the sacred moment when God's word is spoken, or your sins are forgiven, or the Eucharist is put into you. There's the sacred moment that, remember, that reminds you who you are. I will just tell you, you know, all of your sins, all of your sins come from a lack of memory. Again, the Old Testament reading today, for just that, just that short moment, Eve forgets who she is. If she'd have said to herself, and Adam too, if, if, if she or he would have said to themselves, I'm a child of God, I live only by the Holy Spirit, I was nothing and now I'm something, and all that I have, body, soul, mind, spirit, has been given to me as a gift. And if I ruin that, I will die. You know, if that, just to rehearse that would have preserved her from the temptation. It'll also preserve you from, you, it will also preserve you from the temptation as well. Memory, every sin results from a lack of memory. And so from a lack of gratitude, right? So we don't remember, we sin, we do remember, we're extraordinarily thankful, and we live the way that God wishes us to live. Life couldn't be simpler than that. But for that, you have to remember the sacred moment, please. Yeah, the problem is, is what's the motivation to obey? What, one, one possibility is fear. But another, the other possibility I would say, suggest to you is gratitude. So I was just one step back from that. Yeah, sure. I mean, this is just like obeying your parent. You've got kids. 
Um, now, you're probably not a good example because your kids perfectly obey you. I've watched them, and whenever you say, you know, yeah, they do uh, that. But for other children, the Nelsons, for example, the Bruzics, they've had trouble over the years with their kids. And we've, you know, <laughs> while they're in the 90th percentile, occasionally, you know, something will. By the way, I just want you to know, last week when Isaac came to the Eucharist, I'm standing there with the, he just looks up at me and he winks at me, and then he goes to the rail. I don't know what that means, <laughs> but it just is like, I don't know if it means I learned to wink, or I know where I'm going, or I'm in control of the situation. I'm looking, I'm like, you're winking at me. I, was, uh, I meant to tell you that, and I forgot to say it, but I just thought, I don't know what that means. I just, but I was like, you know, I mean, that, <laughs> it was, that was, that's exactly what it was. He was preparing for the Eucharist. Hey, this is all going to be okay now. Okay, we're in on this, right? We're gonna get, so I was just going to the other side. You know, one, obedience, and that can often listen in us, obedience. So if I say to you, Dan, you have to fast, and I'll go, oh my God, what's going to happen to me if I don't? Or I can say, um, Jesus really loves you, and he'd like to draw you a little nearer. But frankly, you've got some barnacles that need to be scraped off the hull here. So one of the ways we can do that is to have you fast and learn to say no, and then everything will go a bit more smoothly in the future, right? So one, one way to talk about it is in the way of fear. You Lutheran types, it would be in the way of law. Another way it is to talk about gratitude. And gratitude is the great motivator, you know? You know this when you're yelling at your kids. When the speech that you have that starts with, don't you realize all I've done for you? That speech. You've all given that speech, have you not? Do you remember all I've done for you? That speech. You mean that as gratitude. It's really fear. But, uh, you know, what you're hoping for. I mean, there's an impulse there. You remember there must be a speech like that somewhere that people would remember. Anyway, the point of a sacred moment is to remind you of all that God has done for you. And that's why, in part, Jesus has the great saying where he says, hey, man, they can't fast now. We're having a party. I mean, this is a sacred moment, but there's going to be time for that later. And so they can fast. And this is what Jesus says. Remember, they said they can't fast while the bridegroom is with them, but they can fast later when I'm gone. So this is the sacred moment, but they can fast later when I'm gone, remembering what I am to them and toward what they'll be someday in heaven. I turned the page. I'm actually at seven, okay? One of the, the, where seven is in the middle. One of the great things that fasting does, and this may be the primary thing, it lets you see the world from God's point of view. So one of the things when we talk about fasting, so here's the thing, if you talk about fasting with Lutherans or you talk about it with anybody and they start to talk about themselves, like everything else when you talk about yourself, one of the great things about being Lutheran is we don't let you talk about yourself. God does the verbs. God baptizes. God gives the Eucharist. God forgives sins. God gives the Spirit. God raises you from the dead. God enlivens you. God motivates all your good works. God, 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 God. We talk about the Lord, right? If you talk about fasting with many people, especially during this time, or you read articles about it, or you read, you read about Christians who suddenly have discovered fasting, they've discovered it in precisely the wrong way, which is they always talk about themselves. I'm doing this, and I'm doing that, and I get this trouble, and oh, this is painful, blah, 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 blah. One of the great reasons to fast is that you begin to see things from God's point of view, which is to say you're empathetic with God. Declare a fast, blow the trumpet, call a sacred assembly. You remember those words from the Old Testament? Right? God wants to do something. Okay? God wants to do something. So most importantly, with your fast, you see things from God's point of view. Now, it's a bit of a bumpy road to get there. So you decide you're not going to eat for 12 hours. You know, about the fourth hour, 
you're not feeling so well, you skip your workout at the eighth hour because you don't have the energy for it. Remember, fasting and Sabbath often go together because you don't have the juice to do it. You know, and by the twelfth hour, you're really cranky, right? Although if you snap at your wife and kids, you at least have an excuse. I'm fasting, that's why I feel so bad. So go ahead and use that. You can attribute it back to me, okay? Yell at your kids, I'm fasting. But then you've had your reward, by the way, Matthew 6. So um, here's the thing. You um, mostly, the way you get to this is, you're discomforted. You're like, why do I feel this way? Because Bruzek's making me fast. So you can be mad at me then. You can start by being mad at me. And then Jesus, Jesus said we should fast. So you can start by being mad at the Lutheran confessions. You know, and then, then the baby Jesus. By about hour nine, you're mad at everybody, you know. But hopefully, you know, by 10 or 11, you come to your senses and you remember that the reason you're discomforted is because you need to say no and you want to touch holy things, not unholy things. And you need to build the discipline, the ability, the confidence that you can do it. Are people who never say no... It's the end of them. In fact, like I told you, when I was young, I had a friend, a um, good friend, whose son actually um, had difficulty saying no. And they had taken for a lot of tests and stuff. And the, and the psychiatrist who worked with him said, he said, you know, the success or happiness of your son's life will be determined by one thing, and you've heard this before, the ability to delay gratification, to say no. Uh, and just to fast forward the story, he did spend some time in prison because, you know, and you could see it coming even as a young guy, the inability to be able to say no. And I think after that, then he did learn the ability to say no, and I think has been okay pretty much since then. But it's the, you don't, if you don't practice saying no, you know, now, I'm not talking about saying no to everything or no to other people. I'm talking about saying no to, you know, I'm not talking about beating your kids or your wife down. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about I pummel my own body and subdue it. I'm talking about learning to say no to the things that most deeply tempt you. And they come in all directions. You know, there are some commonalities. But one of the great things about you know, temptation is it comes right at you personally. Now, the great thing about grace is God loves you individually like nobody else he loves. And you'll find that out in the ability to say no. And please take seriously, even if you are Lutheran, what Jesus said which is your father who sees you from heaven will reward you. Okay, now there's another, there's another Jesus word that gives Lutheran hives. But here's the deal. That's what he says. He says, when you fast, so he presumes you're going to fast, don't tell everybody, don't show off, okay, and God will reward you. No, he doesn't reward you and by saying, now you can come into heaven. He rewards you with, I don't know, all kinds of intangible things like it's easier to say no next time. Or frankly, you didn't steal that, so now you don't have to go to prison. Or you weren't unfaithful, so now you don't have to be divorced. Or, you know, whatever. Okay? You got it? So he rewards you with things which might be intangible. So think about that as you go. But the most important thing is then, then you see you're seeing as God sees. So you see things empathetically from God's point of view. Um, you still okay? I'm just to now, just sort of giving you the rationale, because I, th- I can think because of what we did last year, I can scoot you through kind of the mechanics fairly quickly, and hopefully you know this. But the rationale is, this is a gift to make you better. It's just like the, it's just like the tithing thing. You know, here's the deal. The, the, I mean, the single word we're using around the offices, we're really good at money, but we want to get better, you know? 
The good news is, and this is fun, you're really good at the Christian life, but we want to get better. right? There's a lot of work to do. The world is a tough place. It's going to be tough for you. The world's going to hell. We're really good at this, but we want to get better. It's nice to be part of a group who everybody's saying, you know, this is why teams win. This is why corporations work. This is why families go forward. This is why churches, if you want to bend in this particular, because everybody's pulling on the same end of the rope. We're really good at this. You know, we've stopped arguing about whether it's works righteousness. We've stopped arguing about, stopped arguing about whether or not we want to do it or not. All the focus is on, okay, now what would be the right way for me to do it so that I can live the life that Christ wants me to live in the community where everybody else is saying they want to live the life that Christ wants to live. That's when it's fun going to church. That's why people will come to church. You know, they're not going to come to church because you beat them down or scare them into it. They'll come to church because they're loved. They'll come to church because they're loved as part of a community that does show discipline, but nevertheless is based on divine love. Okay? Still okay? All right, just a few things about what you can do. Um, I give you the definitions there uh, under seven. They're different kind of fasts. Now, I'm not picking Eunice to the point of telling you which one of these to do. You should try one this Lent, and then if it works, you know, try a different one next Lent. If it doesn't work, try to figure out why it didn't work. If it doesn't work, uh, don't beat yourself down about it. Uh, It is. You're trying to figure it out. If you'd all been fasting since the time you were three, you know, then you'd sort of know this. But we're all sort of amateurs, so we got to kind of learn on the fly. Um, you know, you can eat but um, still drink. Some people don't eat or don't drink. You know, obviously, you know, be careful with this. And I'm not a doctor, so I'm not giving you any medical advice. I'm not prescribed in any of this. Do see that you can do this for um, different periods of time. The most common fast in the church, in fact, how many of you grew up, did anybody grow up with um, your pastor having you not eat before the Eucharist in the morning on Sunday? Did you grow up with that? Now, here's the thing. You just, it was all the Catholics who self-identified, right? <laughs> did any Lutherans grow up with that? When Arthur comes and stays, I'll out him. You know, he never, I'm always like, I always want to make him breakfast because we've usually worked him hard and, like I make, and as I kind of always forget, he fasts until it's a long fast, you know, to get all the way through the morning. He's kind of, now he sort of takes something in the middle, but yeah, so it was an old Catholic thing to fast before every Eucharist. Um, that may be one of the easiest fasts, it's just a couple of hours, but it does sort of, it breaks up your routine and reminds you who you are, right? You can go till noon or three, the classic hours that follow Jesus on the cross, right? Nine, noon, three classic hours of Jesus on the cross. Um, you know, meal times and nothing more. Uh, it's the French way of fasting. Uh, or 12 hours or 24 hours. So you've got all that, right? Um, abstinence is technically difficult. You kind of remind that, where you just give up one thing. We often call that a fast in our broader thing. If you're talking to people, you should just kind of remember the difference. It's not wrong. It's fine to be able to just say no to one thing, especially if there's something that's indulgent. You know, there's, there's a lot of people who could drink a lot less. There's a lot of people who could eat a lot less, you know, bad stuff for them. There's a lot of people who could stop smoking. I mean, there's a lot of things where it's easy just if you gave up, you know, cigarettes for Lent, that would be a good thing for you. Now, um, I'm going to scooch you past. I'm going to keep going to the practical stuff, okay? And you have these things if you want to go back and read them. But you, you had these things about sacred moments and happy fasts and sad fasts, all that kind of stuff. Point 12, okay? 
This is really, really important. Um, it's like when people work out. It's like when you go to the gym on January 4th and everybody is there. And you just console yourself with the fact on February 4th, they'll all be gone. You'll have the gym back to yourself again. Because why? Because people try to do too much. So I would just say to you, you know, you kind of know yourself. You've probably, you know, had to show discipline in other ways. Pick something that is manageable for you. You know, I kind of want to say successful, but I almost don't want to go there because it can be successful in different ways. Just pick something you can actually do. Um, if you screw it up, you know, forgive yourself and sort of carry on. If you get it way out of whack, change it, okay? The Lord's not standing there with a stick. This is about trying to get better. It's about learning to say no to unholy things, to say no to your flesh. It's about saying yes to holy things. So pick something manageable. Now, you would, I might have to, you know, if you give up, you know, Coca-Cola for Lent, and then you used to call me and say, on the 21st, I just got to have a full sugar, not a zero. If you say it, I might, my sympathy may be drained out for you. But um, if you, you know, I mean, like if you pick gossiping or swearing or something like that, I, I mean, I get it. You're like, it's a Saturday, you hit your hammer under your thumb, you're calling me saying, can I say, you know, I may, I may let you go, depending on if you're bleeding or going to the hospital or not. Who knows, all right? So just um, pick something that you can manage and, you know, be careful with it. Ease in and ease out. You know, try not to overextend. Thirteen, you know, and I'll just remind you this. What could possibly go wrong? Man, everything could go wrong. There is nothing that we can't ruin, okay, because we're the church, I mean, Eve, Adam, ruined the Garden of Eden, right? So there's nothing, and it can go wrong in a hundred ways. You can be proud of yourself, you can beat yourself up, you can make fun of other people, you can make fun of yourself, you can compare yourself. You know, scriptures say, don't compare yourself to anybody else. You remember that? Must have been some of that going on in the church where people say, I'm a little better at this than you, and I'm better than you, and I got this gift. He's like, it doesn't, Paul actually gives very practical advice. He says, it really doesn't help you to compare yourself to anybody else. The Lord has given you what he's given you. You work with what you've got. And, you know, sort of move on. Be very, very careful that it doesn't go wrong, that it doesn't, I mean, turn into some sort of righteousness, that you're not yapping about it all the time, that it doesn't become hypocrisy, that you don't hurt your own health. You know, some of you are on medication, some of you, you know, have medical things. I, for you, give up swearing, okay? Because swearing interacts with very few medications, lack of swearing. You just go ahead and give that up, okay? Um... And then I put you to 14. Imagine all the things that could actually go right. And this is really the thing for you to focus on. In fact, if you talk to other Lutherans or other Christians and they ask you, are you fasting for Lent? Now, you're going to be careful here because, you know, Jesus does say, you know, I mean, you spin it out and say what a good boy you are. You've had your reward, you know. And he says, but occasionally you may find this very softly and subtly to be a chance to give a witness. If people notice, so... If you give up, for example, if you give up meat for Lent, you know, there's every possibility you're going to go to the men's retreat. That'll be an easy one. Or get invited to your boss's house for dinner. That will be a hard one. And his wife makes steak. And then you're going to say, hey, I'm not having that. That should be an interesting conversation about your job, your bonus, your promotion. You know, that'll be interesting. Um, Use it if you get the chance. You can use this as a chance to say, and you should be able to say in 10 words or less like everything else why your fasting helps you. So, you should be able to say, it helps me remember the gifts of God that God's given me everything. You should be able to say, it's really important to be 
to, to, to always show discipline in my life. I mean, one of the great things about tithing, tithing and giving alms is it shows it makes you discipline your money. You just have to discipline it, right? One of the great things about fasting is you discipline your food intake or whatever other intake you've got. So it helps me show discipline. It helps me remember. It helps me get stronger. It puts a rhythm into my life, right? Um, and I give you some other ones. I mean, real honestly, when you give alms, so Jesus said, if you're a Christian, then you'll give alms. One of the things that you do when you give alms is you make the world a more just place. It's very difficult to find any justification in Scripture for people going hungry at night, going to bed hungry at night. It's very difficult to find justification for that. It's very, very difficult to, to, to see why people should be without food. You know, Think about that. Even in the Old Testament, the Leviticus thing, we, the alms were specific, specifically written so that everybody would have food at night. You know, don't reap to the edge. Don't pick up the grapes that fall. Because poor people need to come and have something to eat too. It doesn't actually ask why they're poor, whether they're bums, whether they're lazy, whether they're addicted, whether they're neglected, whether, whether they're neglectful, whether they were neglected. It doesn't ask that question. It actually just says, and these fall broadly into the notion of justice. It's all over the scriptures, okay? So you should, I guess, one of the things that you should do when you think about your fasting is say, you know, what good is this going to do for me? And you might be able to, at least to yourself, be able to say, it, it helps me remember how good God is to me. It helps me remember how important it is to discipline myself, how important discipline is to the Christian life. It helps me establish a rhythm to my life. I mean, you can have a positive sort of fasting too. I mean, one of the ways is you could just say, I'm going to pray every day, in the morning and in the evening. That's sufficient for a fast. You know, I'm going to pray every morning, and the church fathers were all over this. Man, why don't you give up? I mean, they, they said, why don't you give up this, or why don't you start that? didn't always have to do with food. So you, you do this, and then you learn that you do, in fact, um, live in holiness and happiness toward the life that is to come, uh, where everything, you know, will be wonderful. All right? Quick questions about any of that? Hopefully you can receive this in the way of the gospel. I actually think we can. I think we've, we've talked about these kinds of things long enough. In some ways, fasting benefits by, by all the talk we've had about money in the past. I mean, you're, you're way past the point as a congregation. We're way past the point where talking about money makes anybody uncomfortable or we think it's works righteousness or we argue about it. We're at the point now, this is really cool, and this is, this is why St. John has such great potential right now. We're at the point where all these things that we talk about People aren't, there's very few people who, in fact, I think I got I, one call, maybe two, where somebody says kind of the you can't do that kind of call. Very few calls like that. The calls I get about it are, hey, I, can you give me some help on how I can get this done? I mean, that's a very positive environment, right? So for gratitude, for thankfulness, right? For remembering the gifts of God, for disciplining the body, for um, bringing justice into the world, for living as a community in, in, that's consecrated to Christ, to create a rhythm for our life, to develop new habits, praying morning and evening, for example, or giving up gossip, or giving up something else. Those things all count because it's all pulled toward heaven, toward the eschaton, when everything will be made right. It's a little taste of heaven right now. So it's the weirdest thing, last thing. So denying yourself in some way gives you a taste of heaven that you wouldn't otherwise have. Isn't that interesting? That actually by saying no to one thing, 
you get a bigger yes from heaven and you get that right now. Your Heavenly Father will see you and He'll reward you. That's a bit of heaven right now. Okay? All right, so there you go. Good luck. If you want help, give me a call. Talk to Pastor Nelson. Um, if you need help, I would, I would also say, and this does not fall into the category of showing off, I think you go to any elder here and they could help you. They're all spiritual guys and they've had some experience and, and done this themselves. You could talk to anybody. If you need the help of a friend, you know, then find a friend to kind of talk it over and you know, help each other out a little bit. Uh, and then just kind of let it go. And you know, if you fail, forgive yourself. If you have to adjust it, adjust it. You get better this year, you get better next year, you get better the year after, figure it out. And then we'll kind of go from there, okay? Um, all right, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom. Teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Men's retreat on Friday and Saturday. No cost unless you stay overnight. Come the evening, come the morning, come both. Doesn't matter. There'll be dinner, there'll be breakfast, evening and morning the first day. Next week, um, Dean Wenthe will be here. So Dean Wenthe will be here to preach and teach Bible study as well. Uh, I think on the beautiful incarnation of Christ in the Old Testament. All right, see you. Thanks. Thank you.